bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's show. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's topic, what I'm putting on my couch, is fear of flying anyone. Indeed, with um, one story of one crash after another, one terrorist plot barely foiled after another, it makes the um, prospect of taking a plane, whether for pleasure or business, a little more daunting. And in fact, uh, for this British terrorist plot to have unraveled um, right during the summer months, a lot of people have decided to cancel their summer vacation plans, and that's really rather unfortunate because um, certainly looking at it from a psychological point of view, with all the stress that we are living under because of terrorism, what we need is a vacation. Of course, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to take a plane to one, but uh, it does mean that we, if we're canceling plans, and I'm not necessarily uh, advising you to do that, but if you have decided to cancel your plans, then um, certainly you should not decide to cancel your vacation altogether. You should make alternate plans if that's what if you feel too frightened of flying. Today, uh, just in time for today's show, a um, Russian passenger jet is the latest airline fatality because all of the 171 people on board actually are um, presumed dead. And, uh, of course, the government is quick to say that this was not terrorism. How they're so sure of this at this point when they don't know what it was, I don't know, but it's not terrorism, according to them. At least they don't want people to be frightened and think that it's terrorism. My guest today is... uh, a very uh, unique man with a uh, long history of having done very impressive things. I, I came up with a name for you. His real name is Steve Kirsch, but my way of introducing you, I think you're a high-tech renaissance man because, Steve, you have your your um, thoughts and your fingers in and your ideas for a lot of very sensible solutions not only um, is Steve a, an entrepreneur and a successful entrepreneur in uh, Silicon Valley, having been the chair and founder of a number of companies related to the Internet. Uh, currently, he is the head of Propel, an Internet accelerator software company. Um, but he's also a tremendous philanthropist, and uh, has been named the one of the outstanding philanthropists of the year. And he has, I actually came across him when I was looking into this whole, this whole idea of airplane security, airport security, and found um, a, some writings that Steve did, uh, actually right, starting right after 9-11, in which he came up with very creative ways to identify terrorists before they strike and uh, ways 
to that people that airports could use, mechanisms that airports could use to make this whole, uh, well, not the whole, <laughs> but to diminish the stress and fear of flying. So welcome to the show, Steve. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, why don't you tell us about this um, creative idea that you had? And obviously, I guess the the, the way that you came up um, came up with it, which I mean, I know that there was a doctor involved as well, but the way that you sort of came up with suggesting it, uh, obviously basing it somewhat on your background in high tech. But why don't you just tell us the story of it and what it does? Well. After the uh, the 9/11 attacks, uh, in fact, uh, probably just less than 30 days uh, after, I I wrote a paper at, and I posted it on my website on the internet on, hey, there's some existing technology that's out there that uh, we might be able to deploy that I had seen on 60 Minutes a while back, and then um, and they reran it uh, actually fairly recently on a technique called brain fingerprinting. And it seemed to me that you could apply such a technique to uh, make flying safer if you could actually screen out the terrorists from the, the passenger list. And I think the you know the way we've been going about airport security now is to try to screen out what you carry on or uh, what you have with you, and there's a lot less emphasis on who you are and, and what you're about and what you know. And it, it, it seemed like you could apply some existing technology uh, in, a, in a new way. And so at the time, it, it seemed like an interesting idea and uh, floated it by a number of people who also uh, thought it was also pretty interesting as well. But I later discovered that, uh, unfortunately, the, the technology is not quite um, up to, uh, uh, to the task. So, I mean, ideally what you'd want to be able to do is someone, uh, in, uh, uh, they walk through a metal detector and so forth, and then they would walk through uh, or you know, be very quickly scanned to determine whether or not they might be a potential terrorist. So it would be the equivalent of asking someone the question, did anyone ask you to bring um, anything on board with you today, and are you a terrorist? And if we could get a reliable uh, yes/no answer out of that that we could trust, then that would be a way to make uh, flying a lot safer. Well, but could you describe the um, the I mean, without getting too technical, but the technology of of how this system works, how um, the brain fingerprinting works? Well, the uh, the technique of brain fingerprinting has been around for a long time, and it relies on a uh, very well-known, very well-established uh, brain response called the P300 complex. And basically what you have to do is you, and, and this sounds sort of um, uh, you know, out of the realm of science fiction and so forth, uh, but you have to attach electrodes to various, um, uh, uh, to, to the correct places on people's heads. And then essentially you measure their P300 complex response when you show them uh, images that they might recognize. So, for example, if you showed me a picture of President Bush, I would uh, have an instant uh, recollection of that, and that would trigger a certain response because I've seen uh, President Bush before in person. I've also seen uh, lots and lots of pictures of him. If you showed me a picture of an AK-47 that was uh, 
uh, that I had never seen before, because um, uh, I'd never seen uh, one of these guns in person, then I would react differently. But if I was a terrorist, then I would instantly react uh, as, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And what's interesting is you showed somebody, say, an AK-47, and it's assembled uh, backwards, or, you know, there's something wrong with how it's assembled. Anyone familiar with the gun uh, would know it would have a completely different response than someone who is just looking at it for the first time, and to them it looks like a gun. And so by measuring these responses... And when you're talking about responses, you're not talking about their verbal responses. No. You're talking about the brain responses. Correct. Correct. Yes, because the, you can't, the, the brain essentially reacts much faster than you can think. And so if you showed someone a picture of something that they've seen before, the brain reacts to recognize that something that they've seen before. And then it's only then that you can say, ah, oh, yeah, I recognize that. I better, you know, change my brain response to, to try to fool the detector. Well, it's too late because you, your brain first has to recognize what it is it's being shown and after that, it's all it's game over. You can't fool it after the fact because you have to at first. Your brain first recognizes it before you can do anything about it. So that's why it's more or less foolproof as long as you can design a sufficiently comprehensive test to screen out terrorists versus uh, regular people. And so there are, there are a bunch of things that you could possibly show someone that a terrorist would be familiar with that other people uh, would not be. And uh, and so if you could then uh, go through that test with people, then you could presumably uh, get a pretty good indicator of whether this person is uh, a terrorist or uh, perhaps knows some a lot of things that terrorists would know and and if so, then you would subject that person to uh, further scrutiny or a lot more scrutiny than you would a normal passenger. And these would be people, I mean, your idea is either to have this happen at the airport or to have people, um, anybody voluntarily first who wants to do it, to do it in a sort of at their at their leisure and to and to have that stored, that their responses stored. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially there. There's a uh, there's currently a, a, a sort of a fast track approach right now that if you submit uh, some uh, piece of information in your biometrics to the government, there's a fast track program such that you uh, go through a special line and you're not screened as much because they've already checked your background and that they figured out that you're a good person. And so then you go through uh, shorter lines and have minimal screening, and that's available at some airports. So this would be somewhat equivalent to that in that it would be a much more thorough uh, screening because it would screen out not just what your background is, but uh, essentially uh, what you know. And it's not foolproof, of course, because one could then get the clearance and then uh, enroll in terrorist camp or be recruited by a terrorist organization. And if you then go on a plane, then between uh, uh, screening times, then mm-hmm. presumably that, that wouldn't be totally effective. So there, there isn't a, you know, any single technology or, or, um, uh, you know, or screening that, that uh, is going to screen out potential threats. And in fact, uh, when you look at the bigger picture, if you really want to uh, increase airport security, 
the best way to do that is to reduce the number of terrorists that are out there. And the best way to reduce the number of terrorists that are out there is to understand why are there so many people, why are there tens of thousands of people who hate us. And, uh, and there's a reason that they do that, and all you have to do is change your behavior such that lots and lots of people don't hate you anymore. And that is, in fact, the best way uh, to get airport safety is not to do any of these these uh, uh, these techniques and screening. Te- well, yes, ideally, <laughs> ideally, you're right. We'll be back with more from Steve Kirsch, my guest today. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m., and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces Comedy Beer Sex Appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff Bell with Ralph's No Holds Barred approach with LA Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on VoiceAmerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength, and the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Steve Kirsch. He's a high-tech renaissance man, and he uh, proposed a uh, plan for brain mapping, um, brain fingerprinting, and uh, as a way to help with security at airports. 
and when the uh, technology catches up more, you know, I should um, let you distinguish that the the what you described as the brain fingerprinting technique, um, how that's different from the biometrics, the other kinds of biometrics that are used um, in some places. Sure, um, the uh, brain fingerprinting is not really a, a bio, biometric; it's just kind of a, a way to assess what it is you, that you know. And uh, as I said before, it's, it turns out that uh, we're not quite at the stage where we could deploy such a technology, and I learned that after I, I wrote it up because uh, you know, I kind of said, hey, here's an interesting idea. And, uh, and it turns out that the, uh, in order to, to, to actually scan somebody for being a potential terrorist, it probably takes about 30 minutes of their time, and they'd have to have electrodes placed on their heads and somebody would have to design some pretty sophisticated tests and then you'd uh, have to have that test read by a human being and, and so forth. So it's it's not quite uh, at the point of, of mass production by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Of course, one of the good things about that, though, was that, um, as opposed to some of the other techniques, was that it didn't really uh, select people, profile people on the basis of race or color or sex or religion, you know, the, the arguments that are put up to the racial profiling. Correct. Um, yeah, it's completely in, insensitive to that. It's just based on uh, what you know. And it's unlike a, a lie detector or, the you know, the perfect lie detector, and there are some interesting techniques that people are now using to try to detect whether you're telling the truth or not. But that would be another approach which is uh, quite different, although both would measure brain responses, uh, the brain fingerprinting, essentially tries to measure what you know and what you've seen before, uh, whereas a lie detector is detecting whether you're uh, mm-hmm. falsely answering a question. So either of those uh, techniques, if uh, uh, properly developed and, and brought to the stage where it can be commercialized and, and done rather rapidly, uh, would be interesting techniques. But as I said before, you know, if you really want to increase airport security, what you do is reduce the number of terrorists. And to do that, you have to understand why why they hate us, and then start changing your behavior. Yes, so. and we'll go to that. I know you have a whole other essay on the lessons of nine uh, eleven and and all of that. We'll get to that. But just um, I sort of interrupted you. The the other the the um, biometric tests that are being used in some places. Sure. Um, the what they do um, uh, now, I, I, um, I, and I don't recall the airport that I went through, but they handed out little brochures, and they uh, said, hey, this will be soon coming to this particular airport and be coming to an airport near you. And what you do is you fill out the form, you pay some money, and then they have you come in for uh, to extract your biometrics. And I think what they do is an iris scan, and they may do uh, fingerprint and uh, and and so forth. So something on on that order. So both are fairly uh, non-invasive. With the iris scan, of course, being the least invasive at all. All you do is take a look, and um, essentially you look in a in a camera, and it it uh, takes a picture of your iris, and that is really the best biometric uh, that's available uh, today because it. Uh, positively uh, identifies you versus any other uh, person. The chance of two people having the same irises is is next to zero, and the chance of the iris scan 
giving inaccurate information is also uh, a virtual zero. So it's it's far far better than the techniques we use today, like for fingerprints, where uh, when you take someone's fingerprint and you try to match up who exactly they are, uh, that tends to be a uh, a process that. Uh, cannot be completely automated, and uh, that's not entirely reliable. Mm-hmm. Whereas the uh, the iris scans are are much much um, uh, better technology and and uh, uh, much faster as well. Huh? So it's going to be like uh, the movies we've seen. We're going to walk on. <laughs> we're going to get online, and we're going to uh, uh, have to look into a, a machine and have our iris scanned in order to see. Well, that tells us who we are, and then I guess. And, and then what? The people who go for these tests, I mean, what other kinds of things um, do you know that that the government would look into? Once, I mean, they would know how to identify you, but then how would they know whether you were a, a safe person or not? Well, uh, it's all, the biometrics are just one piece of the puzzle, so uh, that's right. Uh, but once they have identified um, a, uh, a, let's say they've identified a list of terrorists, that uh, they do not want any on any planes whatsoever. Well, the first thing you learn, learn in terrorist school is how to forge an ID. And once you've forged an ID and created a new identity, then uh, your potential risk factor, no matter how good they, they screen you, they're going to come up with new ideas for you know, taking a plane down or what have you. So, in fact, if you can, uh, once you've identified the terrorists, if you can capture their biometrics, then there's no way that, that a terrorist is going to come up with mm-hmm. a phony card or a phony identification and get past airport security. And so it provides, it, it's just another uh, piece of the puzzle uh, to use biometrics. And um, I would actually be, it, it would be great if you could go and register your biometrics and then buy a plane ticket and then you show up at the airport and you just walk through security because they know exactly who you are and they, they've already screened you in the, uh, the database to determine whether you're a, a terrorist or not and uh, you don't have any boarding passes to mess with and the airport screening can be very quick because it, it takes a fraction of a second to do an iris scan to identify who you are. Of course, you know, I mean, I certainly can see how that would work to um, eliminate you if you were on the terrorist list, but certainly there are a lot of people who aren't yet on the terrorist list who wouldn't necessarily be safe. I mean, I guess that's the part where why people are still sort of uh, slow to warm up to this idea because they don't want the rest of the investigation that goes on, you know, as far as uh, whatever the government is going to look into, your personal life, to decide whether you would be safe or not, which is another level of this. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's your choice as to whether you want to go on to this, the uh, the fast track security program, and have your background looked into and your biometrics taken. Uh, but if you choose to do that, it, uh, I, I think that uh, everybody would probably be a lot safer if everyone went into the the fast track program than to have the screening that we go through now because there's just so many ways that you can be a, a terrorist on board an airplane, for example, and still bypass all of the security screening that we do today. And if there is one lesson that we should have learned from 9-11 is that uh, not only is airport screening insufficient, but even 
you know, we, this was not the first time that planes have gone down because of terrorists, and every time we react by increasing airport security, and of course what we find is that the terrorists then analyze what security procedures that uh, are being used, and they devise ways around that. And so it's this never-ending battle. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like eliminating uh, spam. That uh, the uh, you know, and spam is a, a much much easier uh, task to eliminate than trying to identify uh, terrorists who are getting on on a plane because you know, spam is it's all electronic. It's well known. It's well understood, and you can apply all sorts of algorithms. And yet. Uh, typically, the best spam filters that are out there will catch 98% or 99%. Okay, well, you know, think about it. If, if you're a terrorist, all you have to do is say, okay, fine. If and our airport security is 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 not at all that precise, I believe that if you had 100 terrorists, I don't think you're going to catch uh, 98 mm-hmm. uh, out of 100 terrorists. I'll bet you you probably um, might catch a, a small fraction of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but even if you were at ninety eight percent accuracy in terms of identifying terrorists that that should be off the plane, two out of a hundred still get through. Right. You know, and that that's enough to do uh, major damage. So if you're a terrorist, all you do is you play, you play the numbers game, right? And uh, you try different techniques, and you try lots of people, and uh, and the thing is that if 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 you're determined and you have enough numbers, you win the game. Right. Because there's just no way that you're going to get uh, airport security that is, is screening people out with 98 or 99% accuracy. It's not going to happen. Right. And I like the way you, uh, first of all, I like that comparing terrorists to spam, but, um, which is, of course, right up your alley with Propel. But, um, uh, you know, the, the idea that... Um, that well, what what you were saying is true. That you know, it really is a numbers game. And but the idea that you had about uh, one airline, you know, having more security um, techniques. I mean, like the one that you proposed. But whatever they are able to do now with the technology in place versus another airline that doesn't have that, and letting the market decide. I mean, letting people decide um, which which airline they're going to buy tickets for. The one that has some kind of increased security on it. Um, actually, it would be an interesting test because people complain about um, what we're being put through, and yet I think that if there was a big difference between airlines, um, it would be interesting to see. I think probably people would still pick the one that's safer, even if it did mean more hassle. Well, actually, the, what yeah, what I proposed was I, I asked the question uh, rhetorically uh, in the, the paper that I wrote. I said, "Well, gee, if there were there were two uh, uh, jets leaving, and one of them had every passenger screened with this computerized knowledge assessment proposal that I had, and the other jet did not. Which jet would you take? And and so the uh, and the reason I posed that question was because a lot of people uh, you know, read the document and said, "Oh, you know, this is out of uh, you know, the realm of science fiction," and. Um, and so people would never subject themselves to this. And I said, fine, make it optional. You know, and uh, and if it is optional, then give people a choice. And right now, people don't have a choice uh, when they get on a plane as to whether you're going to take security measure A or security measure B. And so there is no market dynamic that can take place. 
but if you had some innovative ideas, then it would make sense um, for people to be able to choose. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, go on a plane that has everybody with the background check uh, on it, or or not. Of course, from a logistical point of view and a booking point of view, it's just a disaster from an, from an airline uh from from the airlines perspective right because they have you know one flight going directly from uh San Jose to Chicago at that time and they don't want to have to then uh triage customers based on whether they pass this particular screening or that particular screening it just makes life a lot more complicated well yes but i mean the passengers would triage themselves by going to the you know the particular airline that has what they want yeah but but of course no airline would then say, hey, every passenger that flies our airline uh, is going to go through this different procedure because that would cut into their market share. And Well, yes. No, you're right. And actually, that's something that uh, airlines are obviously getting increasingly worried about um, as to what impact this is going to have. So when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, fear of flying. I can hear I can hear people calling up airlines and canceling their reservations as we speak, but that's not the point of this. We'll come back. We'll talk more with my guest, Steve Kirsch, a high-tech renaissance man who um, obviously has a lot of interesting proposals, including uh, some about how to create less spam or fewer terrorists. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, 
politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Getterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about fear of flying anyone with my guest, Steve Kirsch, who I have dubbed the high-tech renaissance man. And... um I just wanted to mention something before we get into uh, Steve's six key lessons of 9-11 and how to feel more uh, secure in general, not just at airports. Um, many of my listeners know, many of you know, that um, I've been involved with the airline industry in the sense that after 9-11, I created a relaxation channel, um, an audio and then more recently a video channel that airlines put on for um, in their in-flight entertainment to help passengers deal with fear of flying and just general stress about uh, flying because fear of terrorists being on the same plane, um, just in general, stress on a plane. And um, as part of that, I've been involved in an organization that's called the World Airline Entertainment Association, and um, we have tech meetings that I understand about one-tenth of, <laughs> you would understand <laughs> But, you know, as, as I go to more and more of these, I understand more. And what's, what's interesting is that um, over the years, what they have been talking about, especially the tech committee, um, is all about how to introduce cell phones on airplanes, iPods. Well, people already bring iPods and laptops now, but all about sort of making that more user-friendly, putting on all kinds of technical gizmos to make it easier for people to bring iPods and laptops and to 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 um, uh, plug into more entertainment and more um, uh, bells and whistles that the airline provides. And that's what they've been working on for years now. Um, and it, it's just so ironic um, and sad that after the British terrorist plot was uncovered, certainly in Britain anyway, they have now disallowed, at least for the time being, cell phones and iPods and laptops and that kind of equipment on planes uh, because of it being able to spark an explosive that would then, you know, set the, demolish the plane, set the plane on fire. And um, it, it's, you know, I, I just wonder, because we're going to be having a uh, the annual meeting in September, I just wonder, people are going to be scratching their heads, I'm sure they are already, uh, all these people and companies who have been working towards enhancing um, the ability to bring on these kinds of this kind of equipment on the plane, they must be sort of uh, you know scratching their heads and wondering what to do next. And it's really, I mean, I think that you know the general it's people don't realize how much um, planning and technology and all of that goes into this. And uh, there was all this, you know, certainly there's been recently a, uh, a lot of controversy about, you know, how, how not whether, but how are we going to allow 
people to talk on their cell phones on planes uh, and not disturb other people. And, you know, and I've been very involved in that and commenting on that. And now it seems like we may not be able to uh, bring this stuff on the planes at all. I guess, Steve, you would have some things to say about that. Well, I, I think that the threat posed by cell phones and laptops and and uh, and the like are it's it's pretty minimal, and you know it's at some there's diminishing returns here. You know, at at, at some point um, you have to say enough is enough because uh, you could uh, you know just get, you know where do you draw draw the line in terms of going overboard. And so, you know, I think that uh, disallowing cell phones and laptops and so forth is is just uh, that that goes over the line. Well, I mean, it certainly does make it hard to travel because people generally bring their cell phones along with them wherever they go. And now, I guess, uh, I guess maybe this this could be an opportunity for new companies to rent. I mean, there are companies already that rent cell phones, but I guess this could show. There could be a boom in the cell phone renting market. Well, no, I mean, if cell phones were to be prohibited, then you wouldn't even be able to rent cell no, phones. No, what I mean is, no, no, no. I mean, if you couldn't bring them with you on a plane. Oh, and then you'd have to rent them to, when you got exactly. there. Yeah, yeah, and that would be just awful. <laughs> so I, I, I hope that that never happens, and I hope that we, uh, that our government focuses on, on how to really prevent. Uh, this stuff from happening because it's a little bit like uh, airport security is treating the symptom and it's not treating the disease. And if you really want to improve airport security, then you, you focus on the uh, on the root causes. So, you know, I talked about this uh, registered traveler program earlier. There's a company called if you uh, there's a website www.flyclear.com and they're operating at uh, at least three airports now, I believe. And uh, at Orlando, for example, people uh, pay $80, and uh, about 25,000 people have signed up for that program. Mm-hmm. That gets them in uh, past security and shorter lines. So uh, there's actually um, uh, it, it, it's encouraging that, in fact, aha, you know, here's a way to actually get through security faster now, and for 80 bucks a year. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good deal, mm-hmm. and it's at four airports now, and uh, and we'll be at more airports later. And you don't have any personal <laughs> interest in that company, do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I I saw the uh, the brochure and thought, uh, you know, this this is a good idea. And uh, what they do is they uh, they in fact do take your fingerprints and iris scans uh, and multiple forms of identification, like driver's license and passports. And then they check you against the government watch list and um, they check um, uh, other uh, um, things, uh, criminal records, in fact. You could have a criminal background, in fact, and still qualify, which is mm. interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, I guess that's why they let um, the man who's come forward to say he's uh, he was there when John Benet Ramsey died. I guess that's why he was allowed to fly. No, absolutely, yeah, uh-uh. because he's not a security risk as far as the uh, the airline is concerned, right? And they're interested in screening out uh, security risks, right. uh, people who are going to destroy the plane or right. injure people on board. Well, let's talk about your um, lessons of uh, creating less spam or fewer terrorists. Yeah. And uh, the six lessons of, of 9-11. And I, I love the one about, um, well, actually, this is 
This is the lesson that Bush never learned, um, a playground psychology. Why don't you start with that? Uh, let's see, the playground psychology, what, the do unto others is... Uh... That, um, that if you constantly bully others and try to use force to influence their behavior, the others will eventually retaliate. Yeah, well... Um... That uh, um, that in fact is is uh, is happening, and so I mean, the, w- w- what's interesting? Uh, I, I created this web page called uh, Lessons of of Nine Eleven on my my personal website, and I I summarized them in a in a little table, and it said, "Here's the lesson, and here's what we're doing now about it." And I tried to think of you know what were the terrorists really trying to tell us in 9-11, and it was very interesting then to compare what the terrorists were, were trying to communicate to us and, in fact, what we heard and how we responded. And what was interesting is that in every single case, what the terrorists were trying to tell us, we, in fact, did the opposite in order to make things, uh, in order to make our life worse uh, rather than, than better. And so, uh, for example, uh, uh, I'll give you a, a, a few of the lessons. Uh, I said uh, basically one of the lessons we learned from 9/11 is that disarming foreign powers won't work because now terrorists are using our own weapons against us. In other words, instead of trying to go into Iraq and get rid of weapons of mass destruction, the lesson of 9/11 was they're not using weapons of mass destruction anymore. They're using our own stuff against us. It's almost like jujitsu. Ju- so that was the lesson of 9-11. The lesson of 9-11 is trying to disarm foreign powers won't work. And so, because that's what they showed us. They showed us, hey, we can use your planes. We don't need to uh, create a nuclear weapon in Iraq and, and then blast it over to you. We can just use your own stuff, your own chemical plants and, and uh, the stuff that already exists in the U.S., and we can use it against you. That was, the le- that was one of the key lessons of 9-11. So what we or did... Even our nuclear plants, I guess, would be... Well, yeah, of course, yeah. Nuclear plants, okay. chemical plants, uh, w- w- airplanes, anything with explosive in it. The terrorists said, hey, guys, wake up. We can use that against you. And so what the U.S. did is it went after weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. <laughs> you know, so exactly the wrong thing. They were trying to tell us, hey, those weapons don't matter because we're not going to use those anymore. And instead, the U.S. then spends a, you know, close to a trillion dollars trying to eliminate weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and then we're going to try to bring democracy to a country that uh, that apparently doesn't want uh, to be, that is not ready for democracy. And so we're doing, we're spending a trillion dollars, and we're actually making things worse, mm-hmm. right? We're actually creating more terrorists than there were uh, uh, before 9-11. I mean, yeah. You know, yes, that has been the upshot. That's what all the reports seem to be indicating. Sure. I mean, so we spend a trillion dollars, we make the problem worse. So uh, we take the lesson, and what we do is uh, ignore what they were trying to tell us and, in fact, make terrorism uh, worse. I mean, if you um, – the, the other lesson, um, I think probably the most important lesson, is that if you want to reduce the amount of terrorism, what you should do is reduce the number of terrorists. If you want to reduce the number of terrorists, you have to understand why tens of thousands of terrorists are pissed at us, and we have to modify our behavior or modify the policies that are fueling that rage. And, you know, basically the fewer the, the, the terrorists are, the less likely we are to be 
uh, attacked by one of them. And uh, so it's really in, in, in management of, of, of understanding why do they hate us. It's not because we are successful. They're, they don't hate us because of that. Uh, they hate us because we meddle into uh, places that we shouldn't be meddling. Well, you know, actually, I, I agree that that's certainly part of it, but I also think that the that the um, culture that they see, you know, the exposure to all of our media and the lifestyle that they think that all Americans lead is part of it. You know, not the whole thing, and yes, we meddle, but I, I do think that that's a part of it. But when we come back, we'll hear more of uh, Steve Kirsch's lessons and uh, how the uh, we don't seem to be learning our lessons. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily, from hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Live in the green life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington. Each week, Connie and her guests will explain the healing system called Christian Science and share stories of how they have used the spiritual laws of God to bring healing to their lives. You can learn how to bring healing to your life, too. So tune in to Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America, America's Voice. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Steve Kirsch a high-tech renaissance man who uh, was, we were originally talking about fear of flying and uh, his his uh, proposal for um, a way to have brain fingerprinting that could 
improve airport security. But now we're, um, we've gotten into the real underlying issue, which is uh, if we were able to uh, stop terrorists from wanting to blow us up, we wouldn't need to have uh, such high-tech security. So, Steve, why don't you continue with some of these lessons that you were talking about that we're not really learning from? Okay. Well, let me. Uh, I, I just want to continue on the uh, the, the point of the uh, why the terrorists hate us because I think that's oh, yes. that's fundamentally the, the most important thing uh, that that we should have learned in 9/11 is to really understand. You know, why are they bombing us? Why are they doing this? Is it just they're they're jealous of our lifestyle, or or not? And you know, unfortunately, they haven't been uh, done a very good job of clearly communicating uh, why they're bombing us. All we see is the the bombs, and and we tend not to uh, understand what's behind it. But uh, let me give you a, a more concrete example, which is in, in Iraq. I think there, the, the number is somewhere around there are ten thousand people involved in terrorist activities against the U.S. Okay, and the reason that they do that is not because they're jealous of our lifestyle. Because our lifestyle has been the same uh, before we invaded Iraq as now. And, uh, you know, of course, the reason that they're doing a, a, a bombing us is because they want us out of their country. Well, yes. I mean, certainly now with what's been happening in Iraq, that's sort of their overriding preoccupation. Co- correct. So, so if we, in fact, left Iraq, there'd be 10,000 less terrorists in the world. Because those people who are doing all of this stuff to get us out will then not have, um, will not be upset anymore. So, uh, for example, this is a lot easier to understand uh, from the Iraqis' point of view. And so the best way to understand the Iraqis' point of view is to turn the tables. And so if you can imagine for one second, step back and, and you know, just pretend for a second that what happened is um, that, uh, uh, that Iraq... Uh, took a look at the U.S. and said, boy, these guys invade countries without provocation just because they have weapons of mass destruction and they don't like them and they, they go and declare war on them. We're going to go in. Uh, so these guys are clearly dangerous. They have nuclear weapons. We know they have weapons of mass destruction. And and the guy running the country, you know, issues orders to invade foreign, foreign countries like Iraq, um, even though they don't have weapons of mass destruction or are not an imminent threat to the United States. So therefore, the United States is a bad country run by a, 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 an insane person uh, who has access to nuclear weapons. So therefore, as Iraqis and as Saddam Hussein, our, you know, our leader, uh, we're going to go in and save the world from the, uh, these dangerous policies of the U.S. by invading the U.S., and then we're going to change their democracy, which clearly doesn't work, into something like a dictatorship with a with a nice benevolent dictator uh, running the show, and the Americans then will embrace um, that uh, our political system that uh, we've uh, uh, told them that they should embrace because we know it's obviously better than what they've had before, and uh, we will occupy uh, the U.S. with lots of. Uh, uh, Iraqi people placed uh, throughout the country in order to, to, to secure the country. Well, you can bet that the U.S. response to that uh, would be not tens of thousands of acts of terrorism, but uh, probably hundreds, if not millions, of acts of terrorism. And as soon as the Iraqis left our country, that terrorism would wait, cease. Wait, what do you mean the United States' response would be hundreds of thousands of acts of terrorism? What do you well, mean, the United States committing? No, no, no. If, if Iraq invaded the U.S., yeah. turn the tables. 
I see. How would I you see. how would you feel if if Saddam Hussein said, "Hey, you know, you're a dangerous country. You have weapons of mass destruction, and you're run by an insane guy." I see, and the, and and scores of them. I mean, hundreds, thousands of them um, came into the United States. Yeah, the, just, the, the Iraqis came into the United States and occupied the U.S. Exactly. Just turn the tables. I see. Okay. I see. In other words, start thinking like if it happened to you, uh-huh. and and of course, what you would be doing is you'd you'd be. Uh, you'd be recruiting your friends and neighbors in order to create acts of terrorism to discourage the Iraqis and try to get them out of your country and and leave us alone. Hmm. And and that's exactly what the Iraqis are doing. So we shouldn't be surprised that they're reacting the way that they're reacting, and that we shouldn't be surprised that we're we're fueling the terrorism because. Yes, but but nine eleven when nine eleven happened, we hadn't gone into Iraq yet. Yeah. So it's not just about i mean yes i totally agree we've made terrorists more angry in in our invasion of iraq or our whatever we want to call it um but that wasn't the we didn't start i mean terrorism didn't start because we went into iraq of course not it didn't start because we went into iraq but the point is that when we went into iraq that we we fueled more terrorists, and we help Al-Qaeda recruit more terrorists. Yes. We're, we're the best recruiting tool Al-Qaeda has ever had. That's true. And so, so if you want to reduce the number of terrorists, you, re, you have to change uh, what our policies are. And if you want to change what our policies are, the best way to, to do that is to start at the, at the top and get rid of President Bush. I mean, if President Bush really wants to make America safer and wants to make flying safer, he should resign. There's the single most effective decision that he can make, and then put someone in the, in the president's seat who who understands that that we have that our behavior causes these people not to like us, and with a fairly modest uh, change in our behavior, uh, we can dramatically reduce the number of terrorists that are out there. Yes. And, and he, and and he should take with him Cheney's, or else Absolutely. it's really going to be a problem. But right. some of the ideas that you put forth, and I'm going to be giving out your website um, at the end of this show, uh, is to have a Department of Peace and International Cooperation and Assistance, not a Department of Homeland Security. Well, I think for now we need both, but ultimately it would be nice to just have a Department of Peace. Um, support that we should support international treaties, not back out of them. We should be a leader in seeking peaceful solutions to conflicts not a leader in the preemptive strike, and we should be respectful of foreign leaders, and we should respect foreign governments, not label them evil, and have talks with our adversaries, not refusing to talk. As right, well. I mean, you don't, you don't call the, 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 the head of uh, North Korea a pygmy. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's just not the right thing to do. <laughs> yes, I, I, I agree. The evildoers and all of that, I know. It's uh, some... some <laughs> I mean, it is our our life has sort of has become surreal in so many different ways. We were talking about different technologies for uh, use at airports, which seems a bit surreal. It seems like it's in a James Bond movie or or one like that, and um, and even some of the things now that uh, that. Um, you know the, the labels that are being given to it, it's like a it's like one big video game. You know it doesn't seem real to people, or certainly doesn't seem real to leaders like President Bush. And uh, and unfortunately, we're all sort of living it in a very real sense. Oh yeah, yeah. And and, and his current stay of the course is is just absolutely insane. You know he's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result when. Uh, we've we've proven 
<laughs> that his strategies simply do not work and make the problem worse. Yes, certainly seems to be getting into a worse a worse mess. Of course, soon now, I mean, after um, now, Iran is going to be the next uh, country that we're going to have to deal with, and obviously, some of the some of the, of course, of course, the president of Iran is is in some ways similar to Bush in the sense of you know they both kind of have a oh I don't know a, a very um, cavalier attitude um, that uh, it's it where sparks can be really uh, can fly in a really dangerous way. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I uh, yeah, the more people that you have uh, who don't have an appreciation and respect for um, uh, and proper respect for the views of others um, uh, is just extremely, extremely dangerous. And you know, when we went into Iraq and basically nobody would follow us even after lots of uh, attempted coercion, that should have been a, a good sign to us that we're doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me give out um, the website of my guest, Steve Kirsch. Uh, his website is S. Kirsch.com, which is uh, S-K-I-R-S-C-H.com, and uh, his website is a, is a buffet of a lot of different uh, essays and things that he proposes beyond, uh, more on what we talked about today and, and beyond, so I suggest that you all check it out and uh, see uh, some of the other interesting things that he has to say. Steve, thank you very much for joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank and you. thank you all for joining me to get again on Tuesday afternoon from 1 to 2 Pacific Time. And I hope that um, this will at least uh, allow you to make a more knowledgeable decision about whether or not you're going to fly. And uh, maybe look into that website that uh, Steve found for us, flyclear.com, and see whether that's something that you feel comfortable doing. So thank you again, Dr. Carol Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 